0: Welcome to a brand new episode of ESO Talks. My name is Angelica, and I'm your host for today's episode. And we are sitting here with Anthony Valise. Anthony, welcome.
1: It's great to be here, Angelica.
0: So tell me a little bit about yourself, Anthony.
1: Well, if I could explain my life in in a nutshell, it would be from the fields to the classroom into the boardroom. my journey started i guess um being the son and the grandson of farm workers and um, i remember standing out here in the middle of willamette valley in the fields uh picking strawberries on a hot day summer day it was like 90 degrees and standing up you know as a little boy and looking at what is i-5 all the cars going back and forth and i remember like you know i someday i want to be in one of those cars and not here so I think that's where the whole, like, you know, getting motivated to with your education started and doing something with myself.
0: So that's really like where the motivation and the drive to start for a better life really started for you?
1: Yeah, I think that was part of it. But um, the, I think the, the largest influence, the biggest influence was being part of Colegio Cesar Chavez, which was a college, the first uh, Latino uh, college, um, four-year institution in U.S. history. So mm-hmm. being around a, a people that were from my community, that had worked in the fields with me, and then actually them, watching them start this college was amazing. And I think that's where literally, you know, owning uh, of Public Relations and Marketing, that's where I got my communication skills. I started just by watching people, so.
0: And what was college experience like for you?
1: You know, I was a non-traditional student. Um, I was actually older. Um, I had a rough start in the beginning. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I ended up going to school, then dropping out and working and all that. But once I... Um, you know, put my mind to it, then I just went straight through. And in fact, I had no, um, no desire to go to graduate school. But it was just through um, fate. Uh, I happened to, happened to be recruiting a Latino professor at Portland State who sat next to me, and he was involved in this program called the Institute for Recruitment Teachers. And it's a uh, summer program where they recruit 40 students of color from around the country. I was selected, the first one from Oregon ever. And, and basically what it was is a way to get you into graduate school. I ultimately didn't become a teacher, but it was a vehicle to get into graduate school.
0: And you are involved in the community locally a lot. Um, you work with different you know, nonprofits, um, different organizations. So what is that like? And what kind of had you first started to get involved in that? Like what yeah. motivate, motivated you?
1: Yeah. Well, for, fortunately, unfortunately, um, I was uh, blessed and burdened to be around great leaders, that all of those leaders were farm workers. Um, you know, I mentioned the college, Colesado Chavez, well, in the 1970s, when they started that college, they had no business starting a college. In fact, uh, once they got that college started, half of them had to go back and get their GT even attend the college that they actually started. And out of springboard out of that, a gentleman by the name of Cipriano Ferrell, who was a student of Colegio, had this huge vision of starting a a farm worker union, which today now is known as Pecun. Out of that, out of those, that work, um, a lot of Latinos were getting sick uh, from the pesticides and and things like that in the field. And um, one of the things that we didn't have was healthcare. So again, within their great vision, these farm workers, they said, hey, let's start a clinic. And they did, which is Salud Medical Clinic. And uh, my mom, coincidentally, was the first employee of Salud Medical Clinic. And then after that in Woodburn be- uh, came Farmworker Housing Development Corporation and now Capacis. So all that said is that I got to see people have a vision and actually make it happen. So I think that's kind of what what inspired me to be um, a public servant and, and, and do the most I could for the community I got.
0: And what did that mean to you to be like the first for that?
1: Um, I think I-, I wasn't really ever looking to be the first. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to serve our community and help, um, you know, all of our community, especially the undocumented, the immigrants, our homeless community, our indigenous, Mesoamericans. And so I was doing what I knew how to do uh, for for the community. And that's really just be a voice at the table, be an advocate. And um, I'll do that to my last breath.
0: Uh, now, I understand that you worked at Nike. Um, Talk to me a little bit about that experience. Uh,
1: what I didn't know is that I was actually in an interview process. So on the Wednesday, a gentleman by the name of Doug Stammen and a woman named Maxine Waters said, hey, we want to talk to you about this position, U.S. Community Relations Manager, et cetera. And I said, wow, you know what? I, um, you know, I'm going to I'll look for somebody uh, for that job. And they told me they go, we want to offer you the job. And I go, what job? And I go, they go, the job we just got in talking about. And I go, I already have a job. And they were like looking at each other laughing. And they go, Anthony, you've been on a three day interview and um we went, and I was like, and we want to offer you this job. And I was just like in shock because I was working in a, at the migrant education program. So I ended up saying, well, I need to think about this. So I was walking out and then a woman comes running out. She goes, hey, Anthony, you forgot your shirts. And so three, <laughs> I, I had gone for three days and I was such a shock.
0: So I assume working at Nike, you know, that's like top corporate. Um, I'm assuming you built like an expansive like network. So how important was that for you to take advantage of building these connections and not only building them, but maintaining them?
1: Yeah, and that's so true. I mean, Nike, you know, opens a lot of doors. And when you're the one bringing gifts, <laughs> a lot of people are obviously very welcome. But it wasn't about me. But, yeah, I, I ended up building national um, relationships, and which I still have to this day, and people that worked at Nike and then people that I worked on uh, nationally uh, like one example is Dr. Juan Andrade, the founder of the U.S. Hispanic Leadership Institute. Uh, he's like an amazing person, national leader. Antonio Tijerino worked at Nike in public affairs, public relations, and he, he's now the executive director and president of the National Hispanic Foundation, and they work with the NFL. Their main charge is mainly trying to get students into STEM and STEAM programs across the country. So just amazing people that I had the chance to work with. Um, you know. Obviously, athletes, entertainers, politicians, people in Latino media, the Nat Univision. Mm -hmm. And so it was really, yeah, it was was amazing to experience.
0: Now, for a lot of people, working at Nike is like a dream job. That's like the top tier, like you've made it. But you decided to leave Nike. Mm -hmm. What went into that decision to move on from Nike? Or how did you know that was the right time in that specific moment? Mm -hmm.
1: Well, I, I had never, I mean... I, I knew of Nike or Adam Oregonian, but I've never I never thought about working at Nike at all. So it wasn't my like, oh, you know, I, I mm-hmm. this is my goal, my goal. And so when I had this opportunity, it fell on my lap. Of course I took it, right? Mm-hmm. But but through that journey and all those relationships I built, you know, I always had the spirit in me, like there's something more for me to do in life. So I think that's I mean, through that journey, I think that's um when I I loved what I did. It's an amazing place to work, but I knew that my destiny was was something different and, and and I'm living it right now. So I'm, I'm glad I was there. It it actually um, helped me a lot to be more confident because when you're meeting people that you see on television, like all the time, um, what I found out is just, this was something that I think I learned the most important. People are people, it doesn't matter where they're from. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what their ethnic racial background, what their socioeconomic background is. Ultimately, at the end of the day, we're all just the same. And so that was a good thing to learn, right? Because mm-hmm walking into different places and spaces whether you're working with like a bunch of like famous athletes or you know um in walking into a, a a room full of farm worker parents i mean we're all kind of the same we're just doing different things
0: and now um after nike you now own two businesses and a non tell me a little bit more about those i
1: think in my mind they're all connected finally like this is like my destiny this is where i'm supposed to be doing it's really about public service, serving, and then really just um, and trying to build something that not only like me and the family, but all of us that work here and are part of all those three organizations we can be proud of because that's, that's my dream. You know, we have a lot of talent. One thing that I, that I when I was growing to Nike and then my life is that, especially Latinos and people of color, we just don't, we just need that opportunity, that one chance, you know, mm-hmm. or maybe a couple of chances, right? But we need that chance. And so that's what I'm trying to do is really give people opportunities. And I was that person, right? I'm the I feel like I like that. I like being the underdog, the the one that's like I always get I gravitate towards like movies like Glory Road or Sea Biscuit, mm-hmm. those groups, you know, that that people, you know, they fight, they persevere, they endure, and then all and then all of a sudden at, at some level they come out on top. And I think that's kind of really what the big picture is with me, is really not really kind of come out on top, but just really just um rise and and thrive and and that kind of thing. So,
0: so you talked about public service and you are running two businesses, a nonprofit. Where do you find the balance t- um, between professional life and personal life? Because it yeah. seems like you are involved in a lot. Yeah.
1: So you know, one thing I really believe is everybody has gift, at least one gift, and I've tapped into that that source. And I think one thing that that's um, I hope everybody reaches, but what they're calling and what their destiny is here on this earth while they're here. I think literally they've all come. I'm I'm living it. And for anybody who has experience or hasn't, once you get to that point, it's like bliss. Because mm-hmm. people will say, how do you do all this stuff? Are you stressed? Yeah, there's natural stresses. But in me, everything's connected. And the, everything's like there's a cause and effect between all of these things. But it's all like moving forward, uplifting. And, and I think the big thing now is being a business owner organization is you have to have top tier talent. Like, and, I, and I've said this before, when I, everybody who I've hired or I work with or choose to work with or not, the ones that I choose to work with, 100%, they got to be good people, mm-hmm. period. They got to be kind of like, well, I feel I'm a good person, right? But they got to be like that, like that mindset. And then they have to have obviously amazing talent. And then everything else we can all learn. Like I'm still learning, Right. But I think that's 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 it. It's like you have to have really great people, better people, smarter people around you if you're going to do like more things. So I think that's what I've been fortunate to have around me.
0: And what kind of impact do you hope that your work will have on people?
1: Um, I think I think really like I don't really think about that. I just do what comes to my mind, what I feel is right,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: um, I guess you could say like lead by example. But I'm not trying to be anyone's example mm-hmm. i'm just trying to live the best life that i can run the best business i can be the best father you know you know family person mm-hmm. and i think hopefully maybe people will look see that as something good
0: and when people hear the name anthony Velis, what do you hope that they think of when that comes to their mm-hmm. mind
1: wow i think i think just um yeah just uh a public servant, really, just somebody who's always uh, working to give back to the community.
0: Now, I know you're still on this journey, but what is the biggest lesson so far that you have learned?
1: I think uh, the, one of the biggest lessons I've learned is that don't let you, the mistakes that you've made um, define, like, your future. Because we're all, we're only human, right? We only, we all make mistakes. We're not perfect. And sometimes I feel people have a tendency, and even, my a beat your you know, you kind of, like, just have this recurring... Like you're always like negative self-talk and you're always that, but that's that's already gone. That doesn't exist. And I think what it is is just learn from your mistakes, hopefully not repeat them, and then and then um, try to do better. Mm-hmm. Second thing I think I would say is that everybody we sh- is, deserves a second chance. I mean that's something that I learned a lot through this journey because um, sometimes things get really complicated and tough. And right now I feel like a lot of people want to just if you make mistakes and oh no, you know, nope. I think we need to give people um, have um, grace and patience and and allow people to grow. Because if you really think about it, that's how we learn, right? We make mm-hmm. mistakes. Hopefully, in business, you don't know, make big ones and align all the time, because then you know that could really hurt. But in, but we're just human, right? And I think that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned. So
0: yeah, I think a lot of us are scared to make mistakes, and when we make a mistake, I think it kind of sets us back, where we're like, oh, okay, like we messed up, like. I'm not going to try that again. But you're really saying, you know, keep trying. Even if you do make a mistake, you know, you can overcome it. Learn, you know, learn from your mistakes and make a better decision. That's really what exactly, you're saying. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Because, because that's the only, because and it's okay. I think every business, every nonprofit, any organization should have allow people. Because, you know, I think as long as you have good intentions, you're trying your best. Mm-hmm. I've made a ton of mistakes. And um, but people have shown grace and then that gives you, okay. I'm going to try it. But you you know, it's like you get better, right, because you learn from your mistakes, whether you're putting on an event, you have a marketing plan or, you know, there was, you know, there was an error or whatever it is. Right. In in the public service or in your work, you know, we have to allow each other to be able to make mistakes. But then we talk about it, learn or provide or find a solution because everything there is a solution for most things.
0: Thank you so much, Anthony, for coming on the podcast. That wraps up today's episode. Until next time, this is Ezo Talks.